So guys, uh, I decided to make the difficult decision to merge Space Castle with Warner Discovery. And they're going to be deleting all of our episodes outright. But the good news is, there is good news, guys. Thanks to all of our hard work and the blood, sweat, and tears we've put into this podcast over the course of the last year and a half, they will be getting a really nice tax write-off. Oh, good. Good, good, good. We won't be profiting at all. Um, oh, oh, cool. It, it was just a straight-up merger, and they decided they, they own Space Castle, and they're just going to delete it outright, like Sesame Street, because uh, information and creativity should just die a horrible death in the face of CEOs getting a tax break at a higher tax bracket. Does that mean we get to meet the cool people from Batgirl? Uh, no. Oh, uh, we oh, might meet them at man. the bread line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Space Castle. It's your clubhouse narrows for all things nerdy. My name is DT, and I'm actually not going to be selling or merging Space Castle until we get at least 500 downloads and listens on the first day of every episode release. My name is Alex, and I'm I'm on board for that. That sounds good. And I'm Seth, and I'm a dreamer. I'll never sell Space Castle, even if we get 100 million downloads every day. Go fuck yourself. guys what are we talking about today what's our topic for this episode our topic is teen movies we're talking about what happened to them that's the topic what happened to teen movies because that used to be the staple they were the focal point they were like the central driving get people in theaters filmmaking landscape for a long time yeah, the 70s and 80s, it was like part of the culture of growing up. Like you would all go to the movie theater and watch a movie like Fast Times at Ridgemont High or a John Hughes movie and then cruise around the mall. And it was the same thing for me too. Like growing up, I graduated high school in 2002 and the late 90s, early 2000s was all about going to the movie theater on a Friday night or something and then spending the whole rest of the night, you know, standing around the, in the parking lot talking about the movies. And there's no more movies made for any teenagers at all anymore. Like for some reason... Like after, I feel like Superbad was like the last actual teen movie that was ever made. And after that, it's just been like a barren wasteland. Like it all just fucking stopped. Why is that? There are a couple that have like popped up here and there, but I remember Superbad being kind of like a, a pivot point for sure. And I graduated in 2010. Because you're a child. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to college and I had a field production class, one of the first things was you had to make an autobiographical short film. And in mine, I showed a wall of ticket stubs because that's how I spent my weekends in high school was just watching movies. Yeah. We had like four things that you could do in Anthem. Two of them were legal. And then, you know, one of them was bowling and then the other one was go to the movies. I thought you were going to say bowling was the illegal one. I was going to be like, what kind of fucking footloose town is Anthem? Have you been to Anthem? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I went to so many movies. Also, I once bowled a 273. Anyway. <laughs> that was a smooth little uh, like aside there, yeah, yeah. sir. I like that. We would go to movies a lot, although it was already a part of the fabric of my being at that point. You don't see teen movies nowadays. Like, I think the last one I can recall that I think about is, is Booksmart. I don't know. Yeah, that came out a couple of years ago, directed by Olivia Wilde. I think it was her directorial debut. I think so, too. It's okay. To me, it feels like a, just another riff on Superbad, 
And Superbad was not only like the last of its kind, it's also like one of the best of its kind too. So it's hard to top that. But I honestly thought like Billy Lord was the best part of Booksmart and the rest of it was kind of largely forgettable. But but you're right. Like there's been an attempt to like resurge and like bring back the teen movie and none of it's stuck. And I think it might be just a cultural thing at this point. So here's the thing. Teen movies ebb and flow. If we look back, uh, you know, when teen movies first started, you get about a decade's worth of like zeitgeisty teen movies and then they go away for about a decade and then they come back for about a decade and then they go away for about a decade generationally you tend to have like people like us that like grew up on those films and then the the people after us in that lull decade where there isn't a lot of teen movies watch the previous decade's teen movies they're riding the crest of that wave instead of raising up with it like we were we're gonna start getting into the another teen movie decade for sure I don't know if I necessarily agree with the math because I feel like we had the 80s, which was just chock fucking full of John Hughes movies, like from the point like before I was born all the way up until the 90s. And then we had the 90s and there was maybe a little bit of a lull. You had stuff like not necessarily teen movies, but stuff that was directed towards teen movies. But then like 1995 hit with like Clueless and American Pie was massive. And then it all kind of rolled up until around like 2008 or so. Yeah. When, when Superbad came out. So I feel like there was a really strong landscape of teen movies from the 80s clear on into the very early 2000s. And that's where it completely stopped. And we haven't had anything since for, fuck, like what, 20? It's like 15 years. But it's been about a decade and a half since we've had a really strong teen movie after like 30 years of it just being a very important cultural thing for everybody. It did shift gears with American Pie, I think you're right, and those kind of stories, the 10 Things I Hate About You sort of late 90s, early early 2000s. Let me break you guys' brains, okay? You can try. There's very distinct teen movie eras. I initially had a, a three-era system up until two or three years ago now, and that was pre-Hughes, Hughes, and post-Hughes. The pre-Hughes teen movie era, you've got your beach blanket bingo, your, your beach party, those teen movies, right? In the 60s there, and then... 80s, you've got obviously Hughes and its genre copycats. And then post-Hughes, you've got your early, mid-2000s era from American Pie is pretty early, but from American Pie to like super bad. Let me hit you with this one. As, as we look back at those three eras, you can see how distinct and different each of those teen movie genres are, right? Beach Blanket Bingo is very different from The Breakfast Club, but they're both obviously teen movies. Our next era of teen movies, you ready? Yes. Fifth era of Marvel. What? What? Marvel movies, the next probably six or eight saga Marvel films, are this era's teen movies. So like Spider-Man, Ms. Marvel, kind of sort of Hawkeye, that type of thing? Mm Mm-hmm. So here is what I meant by cultural, and I think you're onto something because I did my research before we started talking about this topic. And one of the articles that I did actually the research. <laughs> uh, no, I found this article called "What Happened to Teen Movies" on a on a website called Reg. I guess it's Reg or RegMovies.com. And one of the things they touch on is the fact that the internet became very very prevalent in young people culture right around the time that Superbad came out. Like we had it in the early 2000s, we had America Online, it was all good and well. 
Uh, IGN was still a decent website that had like cheat codes and shit, and it wasn't just boring navel gazing bullshit reviews that all ended with seven point eight reviews. Got him. Hey. Uh... Anyway, the landscape changed culturally for kids, where the internet became more of our source of entertainment. We had YouTube, we had Ebombs World, we had Homestar Runner, and it became. And it still is becoming more and more a thing where kids are just staying home and ingesting their their entertainment, their comedy through that means. And now that we've got so many goddamn fucking streaming services that are putting out all these original contents and TV shows and movies and whatnot, it's not necessary to go out and go to the movie theater to get that type of entertainment you want. You've got TikTokers who will do absolutely fucking anything and make an ass of themselves to get listeners and, and viewers and whatnot. Uh, check us out on TikTok at Space Castle Pod. <laughs> It, it became a cultural thing where it wasn't a touchstone anymore for kids to go to the movie theater and then go to the mall and go shopping. It was like, let's get on YouTube. Let's play video games. Let's Malls are dead now. Yeah, they're completely dead. We've talked about this before of the, the rise of the information age and now the post-information age, which we're currently in and dealing with. This is yet another of the thousands of different fallouts of that. I think it just doesn't work the same way that it used to. So you had Clueless, you had Scream, you had The Craft, you had not another teen movie, all in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And people were discovering the internet. But I think the shift went from the Hughes era that Seth described into the post era. And that was because television got a little bit better. And you we weren't getting like TV sitcoms as much as a narratively driven teen related Sort of One Tree Hill Gossip Girl, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, OC, Dawson's Creek. Like we got all of that in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it kind of brought about the sort of more cinematic narrative television. So we didn't need it as much as we did. And, and I think the format of a teen movie really plays well into television, right? Like a little bit more complex storytelling because you get more time with characters. You don't get just like archetypal Breakfast Club style. Each person represents one facet of a teenager, and instead you get the truly representational, complex person in a television series, hopefully. Not all the time, obviously. I think about this gap from like um, basically after Superbad until recently, I think the last teen movie that I like really enjoyed or resonated with me was Lady Bird. Did you guys ever see that? I loved Lady Bird. And I think that to me qualifies as a teen movie, but it's also very like dramatically driven. And it's it's a coming of age. It's a it's a coming of age story. I don't think it's a teen movie. It is a coming of age movie for sure. That's a Venn diagram, not a circle. Yeah, it's an, it's an overlap. It's not your traditional teen movie in the sense of being like American Pie or 16 Candles, where there's a moral to the story and there's a, a growth and a coming of age, but also mostly centered around humor. Lady Bird was funny. Like, Laurie Metcalf is fucking hysterical and amazing in it. Greta Gerwig directed the shit out of that movie. It's great. Greta Gerwig is among my favorite directors now because of Lady Bird. But it's a drama. And like, Eighth Grade came out at the same point. Bo Burnham directed that one. Also very good. A lot of humor, but it's it's more drama. And I think Alex is right. I think maybe culturally, kids growing up in such a hard and fast environment and the world changing all the time, maybe kids are leaning more towards dramas. Maybe that's more appealing to them. You did it. Welcome to it. You defined the eras. That's how teen movies work. Once teens move on to something more interesting and dramatic, you get the Hughes era. Teens move on to something more interesting and dramatic, you get the American Pie era. That's how it works, man. Those are popcorn flicks to me, though. I don't know that the dramatic value of American Pie is... It's not the dramatic value of the film. It's, it's an internal 
dramatic value. I see what you're saying. I think that, that just today we're because of the internet and because of our ability to communicate just the way that we're all interconnected more than we ever used to be. And that's now part and parcel of everyday life. We're more aware of social issues and that's happening at a younger age. So teen movies are becoming more centered around that. Yeah. Teen movies always follow the teens, man. Yeah. And your generation Z and soon to be generation alpha, they're more keyed into that, which is how you get some controversial TV shows such as like Euphoria or others. But then you get things like The Hate You Give, which is a well-loved book and then translated into to film. I do think that we are seeing a transition from teen movies to teen short series. Sure, definitely. I think it's it's honestly probably an economical move too. I mean, instead of producing a movie that's two hours long or 90 minutes long and putting it out in the theaters and hoping for the best, here's something that you can stretch out for years if you need to, even until the actors are like 35 years old like they did with fucking Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Dawson's Creek, dude. Dawson's Creek is such an interesting microcosm. Yeah. And the OC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That motherfucker, that guy went from playing a 19-year-old to playing Commissioner Gordon outright. (laughs) (laughs) Like That dude's been 45 years old for like 20 years now. I just think that there's such a huge jump from the teen movie of Alex is barely a teenager, Mean Girls, to now. Mean Girls is one I wanted to touch on too, because that is such a great fucking movie. And it was right around the same era. I think it, it came out before Superbad. But it was part of that wave of early 2000s movies. And I just got to say that Mean Girls doesn't get the love it deserves, I feel like, because that is right up there with Back to the Future as being one of the tightest fucking screenplays ever written. That is a masterfully written script. That is, I think, Tina Fey is probably like Magnum Opus. I think it's the best thing she's ever done. Maybe the best thing she ever will do, aside from maybe 30 Rock. But Mean Girls is a fucking good movie, shockingly so. I don't think I've talked to anybody in the last five years that doesn't think main girls is a masterpiece i think everybody who's in the know knows it's great i think the vast majority of people just saw it as a teen movie and they enjoyed it and they moved on for me i think it's actually a cultural touchstone and a really good example from somebody who has studied film most of my life in being a really fucking good screenplay and an incredible execution of a really good screenplay just like back to the future there have been entire college courses taught on the screenplay for back to the future because it is so succinctly written and so full of humor and full of life without having a shred of fat on it at all. Like, it's incredible. And I think Mean Girls is exactly the same way. That movie is brisk as fuck, but it takes its time with its characters at the same time. The balance is just incredible. Zemeckis' body of work in general, I think, is very interesting for that reason. Until he got into CGI bullshit. <laughs> yeah, we can, talk, we can talk about Zemeckis in another time, I think. Fucking Polar Express broke that man. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. Poor soul. <laughs> I have a respect for Polar Express, so yep, I, I, I do will too. fight you on that. I'm glad that you said that, Alex, because that's exactly how I would word it. I have a respect for Polar Express. It was a very specific feeling. Mean Girls came out in what, like 2000? 2004. Like my mom had promised us we were going to the theater, which I'm always stoked for. I'm like 11 or something, 12, whatever. And <laughs> I remember wanting to go and see a movie, but I had decided the last like two or three that we had seen. And so it was time for my sister to decide. She picked Mean Girls along with my mom. They wanted to see that. And I was like, all right, whatever, we'll go. And I remember just distinctly being not disappointed by the movie, even though it was totally not me. I was not the audience. Because of the Santa Claus dancing scene, right? 
There were a few things that I was very intrigued by, <laughs> but I remember beyond the obvious, you know, face value, surface level sort of thing, I remember being like, wow, that was very enjoyable. And I went in with low expectations. I was just blown out of the water. And I think that that's, that's quintessential teen movie. You can jump into something that really should be potentially, okay, I'm getting off the rails here, but- Welcome to Space Castle. You're a <laughs> for all things nerdy. <laughs> what happened to teen movies to make them like trashy? There was like a tangent that we went on there for a while. That was it like, was the fucking- It was when nudity was introduced and it was when like it got weird. <laughs> oh, is that the- I, I was thinking of a different kind of trashy. Scary movie. When scary movie did way better than it should have, and it is a much better film than it should be, to be fair, the first one. Everybody was like, wait, hold the fuck on. We don't have to make actual movies anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then that exploded. We got like fucking a hundred of them. I feel like that was like a nail in the coffin for teen movies. Yeah. It all became self-referential. Yeah. Alex, you were talking about the raunchy movies. So like Porky's had a lot of really questionable shit, like Peeping Tom type of shit. We've talked on the podcast before about Revenge of the Nerds and how Revenge of the Nerds culminates in a rape scene. And then you had stuff like American Pie, where the main character, Jim, leaves his computer on with the camera going on the internet, so Shannon Elizabeth's character can take her clothes off and all of his friends watch her from afar, because I feel like that's something we should touch on. We went down a track. Hollywood went and said, oh, this is going to put people in the theater, because there's going to be nudity, there's going to be raunchy jokes that people find funny, but they tell around the water cooler. Now it's become more mainstream because of those teen movies. We forsook the dramatic for this sort of easy punchline. The death throes of teen movies became cash grabs. Like they went from being people putting effort into things. Like, like Hughes undeniably put a huge amount of effort into those movies. And movies like Superbad, granted they were made by the seat of their pants, but it was not for lack of effort or lack of expertise or trying or all of that they they've really put a lot into these movies that happen to be in this genre and i feel like studio execs realized the teen movies were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more popular and more popular and they just like fucked off with that they stopped making them films and just started making them movies and that's when they died i don't know uh i think we've seen that all throughout the course of the teen films like we had our raunchy, important culturally and became like memes and whatnot, movies like American Pie that are obviously very problematic. But then after that, we had that course correction where we got Mean Girls, we got 10 Things I Hate About You, we got Easy A, where these are teen movies about strong female characters not being exploited. And then we got Booksmart eventually after that fact too, several years later, where we have very strong female characters who aren't just the object of affection or an object to be won, to be conquered or some way. So we had a lot of really smart teen movies come out that were very well received and became very important films. But for some reason, like I said, like right around like the, the mid 2010s or so, it all just went away. Like I thought we were at a really good point with Easy A and Mean Girls and Superbad where teen movies were going to explode again and be a really big deal. But we were going to get really smart, really succinctly written movies that, like Alex said, didn't just go for the punchline. Instead, it was like the smarter they became the less marketable they became for some reason. And eventually they just went away. And like we said before, like those really smart and interesting and dramatic and fleshed out in terms of plot and character projects went to TV. It's because people don't go to the theater to think. That's why Blade Runner 2049 did so poorly. Fair. Well, and there are anomalies too. I think Superbad falls under that categorization. 
think about Jonah Hill the entire time is objectifying Emma Stone. You know, he's like the goal of it is he wants to go and get with Jules. By the end, they reconcile that, though, by the nature of realizing the dramatic arc of that character. And Jonah Hill just like, all right, let's be friends and hang out in the mall instead of being a weirdo. Well, plus Jules was a smart and strong female character. She wasn't just an object to be chased and won. And once the movie got to that point, the turning point for Jonah Hill's character, uh, Seth, was, holy shit, this is a person, not just a girl. I really want to fuck because I'm 18 and about to go to college. I don't want to go to college as a virgin. Like This is somebody who has thoughts and feelings and is an actual fleshed out person. And that's smart because a lot of the movies that came before it, even up to like American Pie in like 1999, it was all about like just getting laid and women are just objects. They're just there for us to oogle and, and try to get with. And Superbad was one of many movies in that early 2000s era where it starts out that way and then it evolves into realizing that you need to grow the fuck up and be a man. Like this isn't what life is about. This is about connections with people and learning that people are people and not just objects of your desire. I have here in front of me the list of Teen Choice Awards for Best Drama. You want to take some guesses? What year? Yeah, what year? Uh, I'll just, do you want me to just throw out some random years? What, what do we want to do here? Because this is, this is fascinating to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's start with this one. We just did 2001 in a previous episode. We just went over a ton of these movies. Gladiator. It's not Gladiator. I'm going to tell you the nominees. Fuck teens. They are Almost Famous, A Knight's Tale, Laura Croft Tomb Raider, The Mummy Returns, Pearl Harbor, Remember the Titans, Say the Last Dance, and Vertical Limit. Do you guys remember Tomb Raider? Holy shit. I don't want to. Um... <laughs> I think A Knight's Tale happened after the fact. I don't think it was appreciated in the time. I want to say that that's probably the winner, but I think it's going to be something really fucking dumb like Tomb Raider. The winner, my friends, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> I, dude, I was going to say Pearl Harbor. Good God. I remember people loving that movie at first. <laughs> the next year, Spider-Man. Yeah, that tracks. In reality, this is all of the 2001 movies. So this is the award season for the next year, which was A Beautiful Mind, Black Hawk Down, Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone, Fellowship of the Ring, Men in Black 2, Moulin Rouge, Attack of the Clones, and Spider-Man. What a lineup, dude. Oh my God. And they picked Spider-Man as the Teen Choice Award, which I, gu- I guess I kind of get. Like, I, I get that. I get that. That first movie was a massive cultural phenomenon, man. That was a literal definition of a blockbuster. You had Blade that made studios realize superhero movies could be profitable. And then Spider-Man was like, here you fucking go. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) All right. So 2005 to 2009 is Buck Wild. The Notebook, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, randomly, number four, whatever. The Pursuit of Happiness. Step up to the streets. (laughs) Hold on, hold Dude, on, hold Step on. Up was a, was a cultural phenomenon, man. Is it Step Up to colon the streets? Or is it Step Up to the streets? No, it's oh, Step it's Up colon, to colon the streets. Colon the streets. I learned something today. <laughs> then 2009, what a banger. Could not not win Teen Choice Award. Twilight? Twilight. Fuck, I knew it. I knew it. Obviously. Oddly, after that, they get a little bit like, you understand, they make a lot more sense because 2010, Blindside, then Black Swan, uh, the lucky one. Wait, teenagers watched Black Swan? Apparently. Dude, Black Swan was big. Dude, what fucking teenagers were watching Darren Aronofsky? That's actually kind of dope. 2010 was the era where shit got really, like, really existential. Yeah. So nominees that year, Black Swan, Limitless, 
The Roommate, Soul Surfer, and Water for Elephants. Okay. So only five teenagers watched a movie that year. <laughs> Three of them. <laughs> I'm a limitless stan. I like that movie a lot. I think it's an interesting concept that was played out successfully. I think out of out of the rest of these, the one that like throws me for a loop is this one. 2013. So these are 2012 movies. You've got Argo, Great Gatsby, The Impossible, Les Miserables, and Perks of Being a Wallflower. Which one wins? Perks. Oh, I'm going to say Les Miserables, weirdly enough. Seth takes home the bacon this time. It's Perks of Being a Wallflower. Really? Yeah, totally. I totally get that. Ezra Miller is going to learn the perks of being a wallflower when he ends up in prison. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is back to another topic we've talked about before and one that I will wrestle with probably until the day I die. I wish I could separate them, man, because I really loved perks. But now, given Ezra Miller's, I don't know, evolution as a famous person, I can't see it in the same light. And that sucks. Uh, See, I really liked We Need to Talk About Kevin, and I have no issues separating that from the actual Ezra Miller anymore, because apparently that's fucking him. (laughs) Yeah, because that's just autobiographical. Yeah, separating the art from the artist, we've done that. Yeah, we did that like episode four or something. It's uh, episode 23, Starlog 123. It's called Good Art, Bad Artist. I think we talk about like Orson Scott Card and some things like that. But Our pals over at She Will Rock You just did a recent episode about Elvis. And Elvis has got some fucking skeletons. And Elvis did some bad shit, y'all. Yeah, Elvis was uh yeah. Piece of shit, honestly. Uh, yeah. Statutory rapist. <laughs> yeah. And that was like the least of his problems. Yeah. It was those fried peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's <laughs> 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 true. <laughs> Guys, are we ever going to see a resurgence of teen movies ever, or do you think it's all going to be just HBO Max? Are we ever going to see a resurgence of teen movies like we did in the early 2000s? No. Probably not. There's a cyclical nature I think we could get to it at some point, but not not in the same way. We're going to see teen movies, but they're not going to be like that. Just like when Hughes started becoming popular, they weren't like Beach Blake Bingo. The teen movies are going to be different because they're for different teens now. I think the younger generation is more informed now. I kind of touched on it before, but the younger generation is more politically charged than it ever has been previously. For good reason. And, and I, you know, as they should be. Yeah. They certainly are tons more uh, savvy than I was when I was in high school watching these movies for the first time. And I had a few little opinions about what was going to happen to me when I was an adult, which was problematic. Like they are, are much more dialed into what's going on. This is, doesn't obviously go for every teenager, but I think the teen movies need to reflect that. So moving forward, we'll get more movies that are a little bit more. I think if nothing else, they'll just be driven more by social commentary, which is which is good and important. They've always were, but back in the early 2000s, the shit that we had to deal with wasn't existential. Like it wasn't reproductive rights. It was like when Obama wore a tan suit and everybody freaked out. Like it, it was it was a lighthearted time. <laughs> There was a war in Afghanistan and Iraq, sure, but like the the political landscape didn't have daily implications for teenagers like it does now. Yeah, it's true. You'd think kids would want that escape though, but I guess they're just getting that escape quickly and easily on Facebook and social media and TikTok and whatnot in small doses. The escape is about the dopamine hit, man. If you can get a dopamine hit every 22 seconds by flicking up your thumb. It's true. Do you think on that note that movies will become shorter again? Because we had, like in the heyday of the early 2000s, we had the 90-minute film was considered to be the perfect length of a movie. And then it was two hours for a while. So 
I don't think so. I think we are seeing the two-hour story is the short story, because now the long version is eight seasons of 10-hour seasons. It's not a 90-minute and a two-and-a-half-hour story anymore. It's a two-hour and a 50-hour story. It's a miniseries you can break up however you want kind of thing at home. I think we won't see a lot of like resurgence of short movies. I think like two hours is going to remain kind of the standard. Ironically, I saw a TikTok recently where Tarantino was talking about this. He was on like a late night show. Somebody asked him if they if he still saw value in films as a medium moving forward, given that people can just watch at home. What kind of question is that? Obviously, his obvious answer was yes, but he was asked to explain why. Like, why do you think that people want to do that? To boil it down, and I mean, Tarantino can obviously he he answered it pretty pretty well, but it came down to just it's an experience when you go to a theater, which is different than what you're going to get when you go to a miniseries. I think the insinuation was like, would you ever consider sort of shorter mediums? And obviously, Tarantino's answer to that is like, no, I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, it's actually probably more like, uh, no, fuck you, fuck you, I'm a fucking filmmaker. Why would you even fucking ask me that fucking question? Come on. Tarantino is literally a capital F filmmaker. Uh, in more ways than one. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Thanks, VT. Yeah, I'm yeah, I so you. fascinated by the like the implications his films will have in the future and sort of how people will interpret Tarantino when he's, you know, not regularly making movies anymore. But it's another podcast. Dude, honestly, at this point, quite literally, all I care about. All I care about is that he doesn't come out to be an absolute trash human being. He's in defeat. Great. Who cares? At this point, all I care about his his legacy is that he's not a piece of shit. Well, he's spent so long in his career just like pushing himself to the edge. So long as he doesn't fall off that cliff, I think we'll look back and see him in a positive light. Here's hoping, man. Like, it's weird to have such a low bar for like people that create art, but like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, especially in Hollywood, yeah. man. Totally right. Totally right. Well, you know who I also hope doesn't ever turn out to be a complete scumbag is Goldblum. That would just break my heart. Because we know he's a little bit murderous. We know he's a little bit conniving. He's turned off the oxygen a couple of times, but mostly in jest. <laughs> but if it ever came out and he was actually like a slime ball, it would, it would paint all that abuse in such a different light. And I would just not feel good about it looking back. Ever since we gave him that prop replica samurai sword from Kill Bill, he's been kind of wandering around with murder in his eyes. I don't know. Seth, why did you give that to him? Take it away from him. Go do that right now. While we listen to the message from Earth, go take that samurai sword away from him. No. Look at him. Look how happy he is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to these messages from Earth while we're dodging a katana blade and avoiding death. Coming up afterwards, we've got a deep space recon from Alex, followed by a question from one of our awesome listeners. Hi, I'm Leah. And I'm Bethann. And we're She Will Rock You. She Will Rock You is a bi-weekly podcast about rock history. Each episode, we talk about an artist and their lives, but we do it a little differently. You see, we noticed there was a lack of ladies hosting music podcasts, so we wanted to fix it. And here we are, two badass millennial ladies talking about rock music our parents wouldn't let us listen to. As a bonus, you'll even get our beer recommendations at the end. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, don't, don't do drugs! Alex, I know you've been out in the deep space, and here is your totally non-sexual segue. Excellent. Thank you. On that note. Penis. 
Uh, well, we got so close. <laughs> Trying to keep so DT close. out of it, but he just fucking squirms his way in every time. There's another joke in there, but no. No, let's move on. The pause is like, should I? No. Should I? No. Should I? No. My deep space has uh, a lot to do with podcasting and a lot to do with hobbits. Let's go. That's our brand, baby. The thing that I discovered recently, it's been going on for a couple of years now, but it's the Friendship Onion, which is an excellent podcast that I've just started listening to. Frankly, it sounds like a Shrek podcast, but go on. It does. I, I had a similar thought because of the the whole like peeling onions thing. And it's probably the reference that they're, they're making. They I haven't listened to enough episodes to know, but it is a podcast hosted by Don Monaghan and Billy Boyd, who uh, listeners will understand are Merry and Pippin from Lord of the Rings. Also two of the greatest human beings ever, probably. Yeah. Yep. They're just, they so much embody their characters and their their whimsical nature. And therefore, they're like the perfect hosts that you'd want to listen to for just talking about inane nonsense. But they don't talk about just inane nonsense. They have a lot of cool guests. Some of the ones that, that I just recently started listening to were Elijah Wood and Dante Bosco was one that just popped up. Rufio. Yes. God, what I wouldn't give to hear fucking the three of them talk okay hold on i need to sub to this immediately before i forget oh it's awesome they talk they talk about this that and the other thing of course and billy boyd is talking about tiktok which is hilarious to hear <laughs> uh, billy boyd uh, kind of go through what he watches and wh- why he's on tiktok which is really for one reason and one reason only i won't spoil anything but it's it's great to to, to listen to that and to hear dante bosco have some sort of uh reverence for them as as actors and as uh, members of the nerdy community which is really cool because you know people who know Dante Bosco will know that beyond being in like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and in tons of uh, movies growing up he is also the voice of Prince Zuko and has has worked hand in hand with people like Mark Hamill on Avatar the Last Airbender and he's worked obviously alongside Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams, and he's got just this storied career that is fascinating to listen to. So that episode in particular was one that stands out to me. But the podcast itself is amazing. The first episode they go, they get into random diatribe about a, a trip they took in Thailand to get some fun food, and got it as spicy as they could make it, and had to canoe their way back to shore and. Like I'll just leave it at that because there's so much to listen to there. It's excellent so far. I've only listened to a few episodes, but I'm loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to derail this a little bit. When I say Dante Bosco, what do you think of? Rufio. You think of Rufio? I feel like that might be a generational thing. I think of Zuko. And in their, their episode list, it, their episode's titled Billy and Dom Talk to Rufio. And I was like, that's... Like, yeah, it is. He is Rufio, obviously, but that's not. I don't think of him as Rufio. I think of him as Zuko. Uh, I do. For our fourth episode of Space Castle Ever was called Rated R Hook. And that's because I brought up how Hook Rated R would be an amazing movie. Phenomenal. I heard his story and he, he I think he, he might talk about this in the podcast. So I guess it's a spoiler for that. But he, he talked about his interview process with Spielberg for that film and the reason he got the role was he went in to talk to him. He didn't read at all for Rufio. He just was the only kid that out of thousands they talked to that intimidated Spielberg. Yo. That's dope. <laughs> let's go. As if I needed another reason to love Dante Bosco. It's amazing. And he's such a nice, kind-hearted guy. Yeah. I'm excited for this podcast, dude. I saw, I think it was a Wired Autocomplete interview with the two of them. 
apparently on their set of the podcast, which I didn't know at the time. But man, it it really feels like when they went to New Zealand to film Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson was like, hey, rent a house because you're going to be here for 18 months. They were like, okay, so this is my life now. And these characters are me now. And they just became Merry and Pippin for the rest of their lives. Oh, they talk <laughs> about that a little bit and how they didn't sort of feel any pressure to that. But they were in because of where they came from, specifically in Great Britain, that they they had a shared sort of cultural thing. I'll let them explain it. Obviously, they're going to do it better. But it, they do talk about that in the show. Check it out. They're great. The, their partnership is phenomenal. I absolutely love everything that they've done together. And I've seen lots of them. I absolutely flabbergasted. I didn't know that they had a podcast. Yeah, I was the same one. I am sort of infamous for not enjoying celebrity podcasts. I think in general, they're just an easy way to make quick and simple money and have automatic sponsors and whatnot just because of cashing in on your fame. This is one celebrity podcast is actually a goddamn fucking joy and one that deserves to exist because those two guys are so funny and so insightful and so just joyful. They're just great human beings. So definitely listen to that podcast for real. Certainly don't take themselves too seriously, which is exactly what you'd want out of a Mary and Pippin podcast, basically. <laughs> I found out about it because I successfully trained my algorithm. I had watched Fellowship of the Ring, wanted to oh. watch the special features, pulled something up on YouTube, just like a snippet of, I think it was like a wardrobe for something. And then they popped up on a thumbnail being interviewed by Colbert, who uh, a lot of people will know is a Tolkien scholar in his own right. Massively so. And they quiz him. They they quiz him in the same way they do on the show. So without spoiling too much, they do like a quiz on the show for sort of Lord of the Rings trivia, which is cool. Check it out. Friendship Onion. Guys, so we have a listener question from one of our aforementioned amazing listeners. Always. Uh, this one comes from Joy. Thank you, Joy. I'm really excited about this one because it is film related. It's one that is near and dear to my heart because Christopher Nolan. And here it is. What is your interpretation of Inception's ending? What is my interpretation of Inception's ending? Joy, I feel like you're looking for answers, and I have none. <laughs> I have answers. DT's probably got a hot take. I have an answer to this question. I'm not sure that's the same thing. All right. But DT, DT, just you first. Just go. Lay it on us. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the answer. I can see it in your face. Just go. Wait, to preface before DT, before you jump into it, listeners who have seen the movie, and maybe it's been a while, or haven't seen it, the end of the film ends with Leonardo DiCaprio spinning a top. But your interpretation is meant to say either he is dreaming or he's not dreaming. That is kind of the the question that the film leaves you with as you exit the theater. DT, take it away. Miles, played by Michael Caine, put a bunch of magnets underneath the fucking table. Because <laughs> he knew after he knew he was going to come to his fucking house, and that's his fucking son-in-law. Like fuck that guy. I'm like, like. He, Nobody exactly knows why his, his daughter died, played by Marion Cotillard. So Cobb comes back and he wants to see the kids and he thinks he's gotten all this money and he's gotten his name cleared. And Michael Keane's like, I'm going to fuck with this son of a bitch. I'm going to put a bunch of fucking magnets underneath the table and he's going to spin the top and he's never going to know if he's actually in a dream or he's not in a dream. Point of order. DT, <laughs> you've got a, you have a lot of really great impressions. You've got a Goldblum in your, like, it's basically your personality. I'm going to be real to you, friend. You do not have a Michael Caine in there. I like it. I, like <laughs> I would have Michael to, Caine have to is warm simple up. Enough. I'm like the two guys in the trip who you need to warm up. You, know, you have to have the context for it. It's not an easy one to jump into, but yeah, it's true. All you have to do is you think, you think about tea and you say, my cocaine. My cocaine. Boom. Done. 
There you go. That's your that's your micro impression. Michael Caine. He got a magnet the size <laughs> of a tangerine. And he, and he put it under the table because he knew he was going to spin that fucking top. Because everywhere Cobb goes, he spins that fucking top. But here's the thing. As is part of the whole thing, no one is supposed to ever see your totem except you. No, you can see the totems. You can't hold each other's totems. You know what they, they feel like. Only you can know the weight of it. Because otherwise, uh, like, you can get all weird and like misinterpreted and shit. So like, when you're in the dream, you should know how your totem feels and the weight of it and whatnot. And you can't let anybody else like fuck with it. I don't subscribe to your theory, DT. No, no, no. Gravity and weight is, is important. Look at all of the totems. No, like, yeah. Ariadne part, builds sure. a totem that is a chess piece that falls over because of the specific weight and balance. The dice from Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, the, the top. I don't subscribe to the magnet theory. I can get on board with some headcanons, but that's not going to be one of them for me. You don't think that this really dramatic and serious Christopher Nolan movie doesn't end with a slapsticky kind of fucking punchline where it's a practical joke? I think that that is absolutely a thing Christopher Nolan could and would do. I just don't think it's this one. <laughs> I feel like the entirety of The Dark Knight Rises is one gigantic practical joke in oh, the audience. Got so. him. Okay, we're going to talk about that at some point. <laughs> I think he's dreaming. I, I fought against it because I'm generally the person that goes with the more hopeful route, which would be that he's no longer dreaming and his whole arc has been resolved properly. But I don't think that that's Nolan, especially after seeing Tenet, unfortunately. I know that some listeners will, will hear that and be like, oh, Tenet was good and, and has moments, but I think it was atrocious. So I think that he's dreaming because it's just too deep and that's part. it's so interwoven throughout the entirety of the story that that he and Maul have been like lost. They've lost themselves. And the reason that he is able to solve the problem for the others within his dream is because he's gone so deep and there's no like, I don't know, mental or spiritual repercussion if you want to go that deep. Do you think the entire movie is a dream? Within a dream, within a dream, within a dream? I think it's possible. I think it's certainly, I wouldn't, I won't write it off. Definitely not. The device itself is such a, I mean, it's a leap of faith for the audience, but the device itself, which allows everybody to do shared dreaming, is such a weird thing that it almost reminds me of like, you guys ever see Existence with Jude Law and um, Jennifer Jason Lee? Mm, I thought Existence was like a Viagra knockoff or competitor. I mean, it could be now. No, like that's not a joke. I legitimately think there's a Viagra competitor called Existence or Extends maybe? Uh, anyway, Existence was a movie that was all about being in dreams and going like a like a weird organic form of VR and whatnot. And I completely forgot where I was fucking going with that because of what Seth just dropped on me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I need to look. When was this movie? When did this movie come out? Oh, uh, Existence was like late 90s, early 2000s. It was right around the same time as The Matrix. Interesting. But it had to do with like uh, existentialism and dreaming and dreams within dreams and all kinds of weird shit going on. Oh. And I really wish I knew exactly where I was going with that because I feel like the point I was going to make was relatively profound and insightful, but it's lost to the ages. Oh, the device in Inception is so outlandish and so weird that it doesn't feel like something that should exist in the world. It feels like a device that Cobb would invent in his own mind to justify being able to go deeper into dreams and solve his own problems, like heal his own broken psyche because of what happened to Maul. And it feels like the object in Existence, where at the end of the movie, you don't really know what's real anymore. Like you as the audience have no idea what's real because they've gone in and out of virtual reality and it's all like dreams and VR and 
you don't know what's the actual device that people are using or if they're in a fantasy world and using the device. It's a weird fucking movie. It's worth checking out. But that's the only thing about Inception that keeps me thinking that he is dreaming at the end. It's that device because it's just such a weird sort of MacGuffin and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel grounded enough to me. We accept it as the audience, but it feels fanciful and flighty enough that it feels like it could be something Cobb just invented while he's deep inside his own head. Well, I think that's the brilliance of this movie and why it's so like maniacal because the movie is broken the minute that DiCaprio and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are in the helicopter and they tell you what Inception is. They, they drop the name. They say, don't think about elephants. Wham. Now the audience is part of the charade. Like they're in there. You've all been incepted. Yeah, exactly. You've Now you're incepted. Done. Okay. Well, now you're thinking about how can I work my way out? It's essentially like, here is this er- elaborate tunnel system and we're going to dig really deep. I've given you a tool. So as you know how to dig deeper and maybe dig back out, but uh, you as the audience member have to decide how deep are you actually? Are you on the surface level or have we dug a lot deeper and now you've just been, are we three level levels deep? You've been given a shovel and Christopher Nolan is saying, interpret as you will. Are you near the surface or no? I think that's part of why Inception is widely considered Nolan's masterpiece is because not only is it a good film in its own right, but it also is like really interesting meta commentary about the nature of film for an audience and how you are going into another a dream world of somebody else's by watching a film like it's a really good like meta commentary on on the film industry it is meta yeah it just could be called meta (laughs) it's good It, it works on a billion different levels man it's it's one of those things where you're like it's it's beethoven level of thoughtful everything is considered from how the movie works to what the audience is going to think about it to what the audience is going to do while watching it. Like every level has been thought of to how long you put Killian Murphy on screen, which the answer is always more. Yeah. More is always the answer. Sure. Um, it's good, man. It's a, it's a good flick. I am with Alex. I think he's also in a dream. Boo. Pessimists. I would fully, fully be on board with the entire endeavor being a dream in Cobb's mind kind of a headcanon that i have been considering my own self it's like do i think that that's how this movie's actually playing out or not i'm not sure on that one i would be on board if on on his deathbed chris nolan was like yeah that's kind of what i was going for i don't know Uh, despite popular opinion i'm actually quite an optimist and i really want to believe the end of the movie is him not dreaming the solar punk in me is like it has to be but i just don't think it is the kids are slightly different than when he remembers him in his dreams or whatnot, when he's seen them prior. They're older. So I really want to believe that he's happy and everybody's happy and he's got his name cleared and he gets to be with his kids. There's the infamous wobble, right? We don't see the top wobble any other point in the movie. And that is significant. But the only like break point is if the top falls and a wobble is not a fall like it's purposely ambiguous right obviously and the optimist in me wants to believe that he got a happy ending but i just i can't bring myself to fully subscribe to that side inception's a good movie period end of sentence do you have to put a period at the end of that too to conclude that thought no 
It's not Inception where you need like an endless array of periods to... No, that is what's known as an in-text annotation. (laughs) (laughs) It's also in all caps, in case you're curious. (laughs) In my brain. Do you have further thoughts on Inception, Alex? Yeah. End of sentence, Alex, period. No, other way around. Period. End of sentence. (laughs) Well, Nolan explores a lot of time dilation in his films, so... I love me some time dilation. That is the through line of everything, his time. Yeah, he plays with time a lot. We talked about this a little bit in the pregame. I love movies that deal with time not cheaply. And Nolan, that's his whole career. So, like, obviously I'm going to like most of it. I have added to the master list of episodes of things I want to cover on this podcast. And the best use of time travel and time in general is on that list. So, Okay. Period. End of sentence. Period. Period. End of podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Space Castle. As always, it is your clubhouse. Now, as for all things nerdy, my name's DT, and I'm actually slightly considering merging with Time Warner and Discovery now. I'm certainly not. I would do it for $500 million. Take it or leave it, Warner Brothers. I know you've got it. I don't know, man. At the rate they're canceling all these fucking shows and just scrapping all these projects, I really think they're hurting really badly. I think they're hemorrhaging money somehow. I think it's all because of the fucking Snyder Cut. They are hemorrhaging money for a movie studio, but that's in the billions of dollars. Like, it's fine. They've got the money to give us $500 million for this fucking podcast. I've been Redwine and Snatch Alex, part-time <laughs> librarian, inverse Batman, Winnebago Thief. King Killer Dude by some basher, Sentai Biologist, Master and Space Commander, I think I have to say it like that every time. I'm Seth, and I'm on board with that. Bye, I love you. Is Michael Caine on Cameo? Because if we can get him to just say it and just dub in, like in post, let's go. Michael Caine will do a lot of fucking things for money, and he's admitted he's done a lot of fucking things for money. I, I really doubt he's on Cameo. If he was, he'd be like 1200 bucks a pop or something. Hashtag worth. <laughs> There's no way he's read worse and weirder. Yeah, I mean, he was in The Dark Knight Rises, so come on. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, keep recording, guys. We've got another episode to get into. <laughs>